If you open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 21. Yeah, we're staying in the book of Matthew, but we're jumping forward because it's Palm Sunday. Everybody say victory. victory. Oh, that's pretty good. So today and next week, our theme is always victory, but today and next week, the, the, the topical theme just for the, the, the events of resurrection season is victory. One more time, everybody say it again. That was pretty good. In fact, that was better than Hosanna. I think it's because we know what victory means, and you might not know what Hosanna means, but that's okay. We'll get there. We will get there. So the Gospel of Matthew, we're still in there, and so we're still remembering that the Gospel of Matthew is calling the reader to follow Jesus, to respond to the arrival of the kingdom of God as, and, and respond to Jesus as a disciple, as a follower. And the, the, book, the whole book really tells us about what that means and how we do it. But if you jump forward uh, to chapter 21, Matthew's still telling us some things. He's still telling us some things about Jesus, and he's still showing us how people respond to him. And so there's, there's a tremendous amount of stuff that we can and should learn from this. So the subtitle, just so that we know where we're going today, so there's no, you don't have to wonder, where, where, where is he going? The subtitle is Praise in Expectation of victory. Say those words out loud with me, will you? Praise in expectation of victory. That real, I think that helps us. That'll help us today. That's what Palm Sunday can, at least this year, I want that to be for you. It's, it's about praise in expectation, praise in anticipation. It's, it's sounding the alarm of triumph. Let's look at what happened that day and then what it might mean to us today. Matthew chapter 21, we're going to read the first 11 verses together. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage, they is Jesus and his followers, and not just, not just 12 of them. This is probably important for us to, to get inside this. Let's crawl inside the text. This is Jesus and, of course, his, his 12 Uh, This time they would have been called apostles already. He would have sent them out. So these are his 12 apostles. But also the other synoptics and and John help us understand that, um, I don't often bring in the other uh, gospels because I like to just focus on one author's message, but we do know that this is right after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And so he has done all of these miraculous works. And at this time in Jesus' ministry, well, things are just crazy. This is now, Lazarus had been dead for four days, and they rolled away the stone. Lazarus comes out, and it spreads like wildfire, and it's really getting close to uh, Passover. So now we've got, a, we've got a rabbi who's raised the dead, and Passover is a-coming. And there is, a, there is, a, there is a, an expectation and anticipation in the air that if you, took, if you stuck your tongue out, you could taste it. There are people swarming and murmuring around Jesus, following him. Yes, his 12 homies are right there. In fact, they're probably all shouldering to see who can be in front of the other one. But more than that, there are, there, I would say, there aren't just dozens. There are many. There are crowds of people following Jesus as he's approaching Jerusalem. Now, because it's Passover, it's, it's, and, and Passover is one of the greatest feasts, it's the greatest required feast for people to come to, you have Jesus coming down, uh, eventually, you'll see this here in a minute, you'll have Jesus coming down 
down from this hill, approaching the Jerusalem. So he's coming down like this to approach to go up. And then news of him is, is happening and crowds that are swelling. The whole city is burgeoning with people. Probably it's grown to at least two or three times its capacity you know, or its normal attendance. And those people are hearing of what's happening. And so there's crowds coming this way and crowds coming out this way. And there is volume and there is intensity. It's not a riot. I don't want you to think about it as a violent thing where people are, they're not, why do, I don't know why we do that. We win a baseball game and then we jump on cars and break windows. Congratulations on your victory. Let me, you know, give you your insurance claim. Uh, but this is just, this is a nearly, no, it is. It is unbridled enthusiasm. You just have to feel that static in the air. When they had approached Jerusalem had come, and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And immediately they will send them. Well, that's interesting. Verse 4. I mean, how many of you came and I took your keys? The Lord needs his car. Sure he does. I'm going to need his insurance number. Uh, Verse 4 says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold! When you read the word behold in the scriptures, that's not an accidental word. Everybody say behold. behold. Behold means stop looking at what you're looking at and look at this. You think, well, that's a silly thing to say. No, it's not, because oftentimes that's what the Lord wants us to do. Stop looking at that and look here. Change what you're seeing. Look up here. Look up. (laughs) (sighs) For those of you that aren't following uh, pop cultural references it's okay it's clean and funny but it's just things get ingrained in the subconscious and now it comes um jesus is not saying look up here look up here he is saying behold behold i need your turn your attention this way that's that just word that's good preaching just that word behold your king is coming to you Gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse six, six, verse 6, the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And we know others were waving them. The crowds were going ahead of him, and those who followed... So. There are crowds in front of him and crowds in back of him. Are you feeling the happy chaos? Okay, so the crowds are going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred. (laughs) That's funny. English is fine, but it just doesn't always have the right punch. I'll get to that in a minute. All the city was stirred. Not shaken, just a little. uh, (laughs) Saying, saying, who dis? And the crowds were saying, well, uh, this is the prophet Jesus uh, from Nazareth in Galilee. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive. We thank you that it's a result of your breath. We thank you that that same breath of the Spirit is present with us now to give us understanding, to give us insight, that we might learn, that we might become, that we might be transformed. Lord, take us from where we are to where we want to be, where we should be, where you want us to be today. By the power of your Spirit, let your word that do its work, we pray. In the name of Jesus, if you want that, say amen. amen. All right, then you can have that. All right, so what happened then? What, what happened that day? Well, number one, Jesus fulfills prophecy as he enters Jerusalem. What prophecy? Well, he's, again, he's approaching this for the Passover, and you need to, we need to see that, that Matthew wants us to know, as other gospel writers want us to know, that what Jesus does, he does intentionally. He does, he, some writers say, well, you know, Jesus actually prearranged that. Maybe. There's nothing that would say that would be wrong, but the, the gospel, Matthew and nor Mark, won't necessarily lead us to believe that he had, these are prearranged things. They, they, they are le- leading us to believe that this is what we would call in our modern charismatic vernacular a word of knowledge. This is insight that Jesus has knowledge about what, where, where, what he needs is, that he knows where to get that. And that's just good news right there. That uh, he knows where he knows what is needed and 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 where it is. He knows that. You know, so so he knows he knows that there's that there's biblical prophecy, and it's in Zechariah chapter chapter nine that and this prophecy. So to fulfill this prophecy, he sends for a donkey and the colt. But here's what's really cool, and you, you might miss it. It's just neat. They Jesus says now if they ask you. Where are you taking my donkey? He tells them, tell them what? Who's he talking about, himself? Yes. Tell them I need it, but he says, tell them. What's that mean? What's that reference? Yeah, if every time that word is used in the text, it's particularly now who are reading Matthew, so we know that Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, that word refers to no one else in this context, the way Matthew would have used it, and he would have known it in his audience. To, to change it would be to, to do damage to the text. To the, the most faithful way to interpret that is for Jesus to say, you tell them Yahweh needs this donkey. Take the donkey, take the donkey. You tell them Yahweh needs a donkey, because I'm coming. Now you should start ready to feel that shout coming up. Zechariah 9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. This is the message that Jesus wants them to hear in this prophetic enactment. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout. In triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Behold. Behold. Say it again. Behold. Behold. 
behold, your king is coming to you. He is just. He is righteous. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What message is Jesus sending? He is saying again, first of all, behold, look, pay attention. Look differently than what you're currently seeing. You're whatever, how, however and whatever lens you're using to look at the world around you, you, you need to grab a different one because everything's about to change. There's, I am coming, and you need to look up. You need to look away. You need to stop navel-gazing. You need to stop trying to figure things out on your own. Whatever you're looking at, you need to change, change your view. Behold, there's something better, something bigger, something more powerful a coming. Behold. That's a good message for Palm Sunday. I know on Friday we'll say, hey, it's Friday, but Sunday's a coming. I know that, but if we took, take a big picture of the whole thing, what we're thinking about what we're approaching, it's a good day to say, behold. Behold. Let's say to yourself, your heart, your soul, your house, this planet, behold. Something powerful this way comes. Behold. Someone is coming, and the next message Jesus wants to make clear is that he is the king. He is the king, and he is carrying salvation. He is the savior. He is bringing salvation. He is the king who is coming to save them. Therefore, they should rejoice greatly. Come on, someone say rejoice greatly. In case you need help with that, that is rejoicing in a greater degree than the golf putt clap. It's my job to be a faithful expositor and teacher of the word. So rejoicing greatly is better than the, than the uh, courtesy woo. Woo. They should rejoice how? Say, how? Greatly. Don't you love the, that, that, yeah, greatly. I love the little adverb there. They should, sh- and furthermore, they should shout in triumph. Now, in case you want more, I'm going to give you more. If you don't, I'm still giving it to you. By shout, what is a shout there? The sh- it, by shout, that word, and, and particularly as it's used in Zechariah, uh, uh, the 9-9 nine, nine verse. By shout, the Hebrew means to split the ears with sound. A little bit more than a courtesy woo. <laughs> to split the ears with sound. To make, we all know this because we're North American evangelicals, to make a joyful noise. Hallelujah. Okay? It does mean to make a joyful noise, but a joyful noise... <laughs> forgive my forgive me. Every once in a while, I use intentionally bad grammar on purpose. Uh, but a joyful noise ain't quiet. It can be, but not in this text. Not in this. This is not what's being called for. Okay, but this is to, sh- to split the ears with sound to make a joyful noise to sound an alarm. Now, not the alarm that says "Watch out." Have you ever heard the fire alarm go off at this building? Don't. It is not pleasant. You will leave the building fast. It splits the ears because it sends a note or a, or a, a message of, 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 uh, of threat. But 
This kind of shout is not the shout of threat or warning. This is not an alarm of warning. This is not an alarm that says, watch out. This is an alarm that says, get ready. This is an alarm. This is a sounding the alarm of triumph, not at the end of the battle, but at the beginning. That's important. They literally, it is, it's shout in triumph before anything even starts. Shout in triumph. The message is, because of who Jesus is and because of what he is about to do, they should praise in expectation of victory. They should rejoice. They should shout. They should praise because they expect victory. And the people responded. That's the message Jesus is sending. They were, the people respond by, by spreading garments and waving palm branches. Garment spreading was a, a common act of, of deference to a monarch. They were acknowledging, yep, we, we think you're the king. And, and, and palm branch waving began 200 years earlier after the Maccabean revolt when the people retook the temple and then celebrated their triumph by celebrating or observing the Feast of Booths, which was which is when they gathered palm branches to remember their time in the desert. For so for two hundred years, the palm branch, the palm uh, don't be don't be I'm doing this. I want to break one little branch, and my wife and Jay are like, no, don't touch a branch. Oh my word! All right, fine. So for two hundred years, now they can't see me. So for this doesn't look nearly as neat as waving one branch. Now I look like a goofball. You say, Dab, why do you guys, why does Mrs. Dab make everybody wear Hawaiian shirts? Well, because she likes to have fun, to be honest. But, but number two, because these things historically represent, the, we are signaling triumph. For 200 years, they waved those branches saying, victory is ours. Victory is ours. And it was just the minute they lifted that, they put it on the back of coins after the Maccabean revolt to remind them of their victory. And now Jesus is descending this mount, and they see him coming, and the first thing they do is they grab these branches and start waving them, saying, victory is ours. Nobody even fought yet, but they're shouting victory. And then they shout, Hosanna. Now say it again, Hosanna. Hosanna. Now you're doing better. You're feeling that. They shout Hosanna, and they shout loud enough that Matthew says the city was stirred. <laughs> like, they were, like it was London. Oh, my, my, I believe there's a parade. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Oh. Look, Mildred, I believe there's a parade. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, the whole city was stirred. That is the word that, that, that elsewhere is used to describe an earthquake. The city was absolutely shook. <laughs> they were woke. They were shook. 
they, they were stirred, shouting Hosanna. Say it again, Hosanna. They were quoting this refrain from Psalm chapter 118, and it begins earlier. Remember, whenever, they, whenever the Hebrew writers, uh, when, they, when they quote a passage from the Old Testament, they mean that passage, but they're wanting, it's like tapping an icon. They're wanting you to remember the whole context there. So let me just read the larger part of it. What, were they, what psalm were they referring to? Listen to these words. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I will not die but live and will tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you for you have answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected, this Jesus, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Here's verse 24. You know this one. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's the Palm Sunday verse. Then verse 25, O Lord, do save, we beseech you. Once again, thank you. Do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Uh, I love the NASA, but it's just so formal here. It just doesn't sound like the visceral cry that it is. And then verse 26, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So verses 25 and 26 is the part that Matthew specifically records. The refrain that he records is there. And Hosanna is what he emphasizes there. And it says, Hosanna is save, we beseech. Save, Lord. It's Yasha'ana or Hosanna. We should understand Hosanna simply to mean this. Oh, Lord, save us now. Someone say that out loud with me. Oh, Lord, save us now. And by the time of Jesus, it had become a liturgical expression. It was a phrase that was used often in the church, in their gatherings as an expression of praise and worship. It was, and it functioned in different levels. Hosanna was literally a prayer for help. Help! Oh, Lord, save now. That means help. Has anybody ever just said, oh, Lord, help? Is there any, is there any time where you can think that, does anybody have something in your life that applies to Lord, comma, help? It's also an exclamation of praise. It's a declaration of victory. It is a shout of celebration. Hosanna is this. Hosanna is a cry for help with the voice of praise. It's a cry for help with the voice of praise. As Jesus approached, the crowds praised him in expectation of victory. Now, that was not realistic. It wasn't. Was Jesus coming with an army? Mm-mm. First of all, he wasn't on a horse. He wasn't on a, uh, a military animal. He was on an animal of peace. So he's on a donkey. He's not even on a donkey. He's on a foal of a donkey. He's coming with his ragtag fugitive fleet. 
and his crowd of enthusiastic groupies. Nobody probably has a weapon on them. If they did, they don't want anybody to see it. Furthermore, Rome is at the it's near apex of power. It would be an invincible foe to even consider overthrowing. So Jesus has got nothing, and he's up against everything. It was absolutely unreasonable for them to get their shout on. But they believed. They believed. They believed, and so they shouted. All right, so I got Lauren and Eric. That's fine. I'll take them. They believed, and so they shouted. They praised in expectation of victory. I, 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 I actually wondered just how necessary this was. Can I? Can I? Can we? Can you give me some permission to just kind of wow, kind of step out of the boat and kind of, kind of step out there into the metaphysical, uh, kind of philosophical a little bit? Is that all right? I'm like, yeah, Lord, yeah. Um, finally, I told her I had a dream about a with a ladder in it the other day, and she freaked out, excited. Ooh, a ladder, like prophetic. And uh, I don't dare tell her that last night I dreamed about a, a rope that I climbed up. It's happening over and over. Anyway. Um, it was an automated rope. I didn't have to work very hard, though, just so you know. Uh, but I wonder just how necessary. There is, how necessary was this? This was not just a show. It wasn't a show, and it wasn't a sham. It was not a misunderstanding. There was a lot of times you'll read in commentaries and things, people will be very condescending, and they'll kind of, well, these, you know, they'll almost say, well, these poor dumb people didn't even know what they were doing. Look at all this, all this, all this fuss about nothing. You know, it's much ado, new, much, there was no clout in their shout. It's much ado about nothing. But Jesus, but this was not a misunderstanding. Jesus did not reject their praise. He did not even correct their expectation. Isn't it good news to know that your faith doesn't have to be precise for Jesus to respond to it? Oh, thank God. He's not no, he's looking for your faith, not the preciseness of your opinion. And he will respond to your faith and not your opinion. So don't say when the Lord responds, don't say, well, he must have thought I was right. I mean, that's what I think. But I don't want anybody else to think that. He responded to their expectation. He didn't correct them. He embraced it. He embraced their praise. He embraced their praise. They thought he was coming to kick out Rome, and they were excited about it. And he's like, ah, just bring it up. Like, come on, just get your praise on anyway. And ultimately, he more than fulfilled their expectations. They wanted a king who was coming with salvation, but not a, not a temporary uh, cultural, not one more shift in the, in, the, in the geopolitical stratum that would go on, has been going on for centuries and would continue. No, what he was doing was about to change eternity. Their praise in an expectation of victory was appropriate because 
They didn't have to be right, but he is the king. And I also think it was necessary on a kind of a prophetic level. I really do. I think it was necessary because this is God. This is, you know, God has relegated and delegated certain things in the natural. And he's coming in to, to bring in the spiritual, to bring change in, in a very, to do some things. To, to, when he comes and steps into our world, he, he seeks because of his, the way he's ordained it for there to be a partnership of faith. And Jesus is coming in to do something powerful. And those people became partners in what Jesus was about to do. About three of you think, okay, maybe. But I'm telling you, what do you mean by that, Dav? I mean that praise is powerful. I mean that praise does something to us. Praise changes us. Praise repostures us. Praise changes us, makes us a candidate for what God wants to do. Praise makes room in my life for the enthronement of God. That's why Psalm 22 says, you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. What that means is our praise constructs a place for God to have dominion. And they, began, they, and they praised like they hadn't praised in a long time because there was serious dominion on the way. Praise affects us and praise enthrones God. Praise paves the way for his saving work. They praised and he came. Palm Sunday. They praised. He came. The greatest struggle for the hope of humanity would ensue. The greatest sacrifice was given. The greatest victory was won. And they praised in expectation of victory. Now, what's that mean to us? The events of Palm Sunday become for us a symbol. They become a model by way of example. Palm Sunday speaks to us of praise in expectation of victory. Not just Passion Week, but absolutely in Passion Week. Palm Sunday speaks of faith that has a voice. Faith that has a voice. Faith has a voice. Faith that shouts. Faith that cries out. Faith that makes its voice heard. It speaks of raising our hallelujah of shouting our Hosanna, of sounding the alarm in expectation of triumph. Why why is it such a model for us? Listen, they didn't really know. Those crowds, that earthquake of crowd activity, they didn't really know. They praised in expectation of victory even even though they didn't have the whole picture. They didn't really know. They didn't really know why Jesus was coming. They didn't even really know who Jesus was. They asked the right question, who this? And everybody said, well, he's a prophet from Galilee. Eh, close. You're not wrong, but you're not right. They didn't really know, but we do. You feel that? They didn't know who he was or why he was coming, but they had faith. And they praised, and he accepted it and responded to it. But we do know. We have a clear view, a clear knowledge of who Jesus is. We know what he has done, and we know what he will do. We believe that he came. 
We believe that he died. He gave his life willingly. And we believe he rose again. We believe he overcame. And we believe he's coming again. Therefore, we have more reason to shout. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Hello. <coughs> we have greater reason to praise in expectation of victory. Our knowledge of Christ's victory gives us a certain and sustained hope. What we believe generates an expectation of victory that cannot be quenched. Our faith must give us a, a praise disposition. A disposition that gives itself. That we, are, we literally have a praise bent. A disposition. We are, we are disposed to praise. We, are more dis, we, in, we have an inclination to praise. But a strong one. We have reason to. Not just a hunch. And it's not... It's not an occasional expectation of good. What we believe affects and determines our general attitude toward every opportunity. Any crisis, every moment, each mountain in life. See, without this praise disposition, we have, without this praise disposition, we can slip into this wait and see attitude. But with a praise disposition, our attitude is behold and believe. Without this praise disposition, our attitude can be worry and murmur and grumbling. But with it, it is rejoice, shout, praise. Without this praise disposition, we live under Murphy's Law. We say it, we believe it, we practice it. But with this praise disposition, we live under the faithfulness of God. We say, all my life you have been faithful. We live under the, the, the lens of the faithful goodness of God. I don't care what, it's not anything that might happen was going to have to deal with the faithful goodness of God. Without this disposition, we live with the spirit of heaviness. But God has provided, he has given to us a garment of praise. You know what you do with a garment? You put it on. Someone say, put it on. He, he, and the, 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 the prophet doesn't say he clothes us. He provides us a garment of praise. Here you go. You know why? Because, because he can't make you praise. He can give you a good reason to. He can give you a good reason to, but he can't make you do it. Faith is up to you. Faith has to be a, praise has to be a disposition. We praise because of what we believe. Uh, this, this, this praise disposition, it, it can't stay quiet. Jesus says elsewhere when they were saying, hey, could you get these guys to quiet down a little bit? And Luke, he said, look, if these be quiet, then the rocks themselves will cry out. You, you, you may not feel like it. You may not feel, oh, I don't feel like praise. Hmm, I understand. 
But those times when you feel least like praise may be the moments in your life when it will make the biggest difference. Further, praise is not a response to how we feel. It is something we do because we believe. Our faith shouts Hosanna. Our faith rejoices. Our our faith praises even as our faith is crying out for help. It does so with the voice of praise. There is a time to be still. There's a time to wait quietly. But I think, I think there are more times when you and your circumstances need the shout of praise. The alarm of triumph. When you need to enthrone the king coming with salvation, you need to enthrone him on your praises. Oh, Lord, save now. Want to try it? Oh, Lord. Not bad. Let's try it together. Oh, Lord, save now. Somebody said, Hosanna. Somebody said it again. Hosanna. Does anybody in this room have a Hosanna? Anybody got one? Anybody here have uh, anybody here have in your heart a cry for help with the voice of praise? I said, does anybody in here have a Hosanna? <laughs> in your bulletin, there's actually a line. I, I encourage you to use it. There's a you can write it right down in your bulletin insert. If you want to, you don't have to. You might you don't might not need it, but I I, I encourage you to try it. If not now, but on the way home, write down in that bulletin insert. Write down the name. Write down that circumstance. Write down that need. Write down that opportunity. Write down that moment. Write down the name of that mountain. Think about it. Write it down. How many got a Hosanna? Is anyone here willing to praise in expectation of victory? Is anybody here willing to praise in expectation of victory? <laughs> Is anybody here willing to praise in expectation of victory? Well, look, somebody, somebody should do that. Why don't you stand to your feet right where you are? Look at that thing. Look at that thing that you've got in front of you. Put it in your heart. Put it in your mind. And I want you to begin to give God praise. If somebody here has a Hosanna, let God hear you say it. Come on. Come on. Shout it out right now. Come on, give the Lord praise right now. Let it out. Let it out. Come on. It's not silly. It's powerful. One more time. Everybody say Hosanna. Come on, one more time. Hosanna. Hosanna.